So the Ocean Pancake podcast started around the beginning of 2018. However, unfortunately, because of a lot of other scheduling and the work I do, which included a lot of conservation work on the island of Moheli in Comoros, you can check that out on my website. I did a lot of coral conservation work. I taught students how to scuba dive and uh, just started some reef check and started manta and humpback whale identifications. The podcast kind of got pushed back, but I am here and back and I'm so excited to be sharing with you all these fantastic interviews I've had in the past year. So this is one of those that I actually had in April 2018. So it is a little behind and I apologize, but I promise I'm back on this train and I'm really excited to share with you everything I've learned and how you can better live an ocean-friendly, earth-friendly life. So yeah, hope you enjoy. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and ask me any questions. Of course, you can find me on Instagram, Vegan Diver Cat, or my website, My Vegan Experiment. So there's plenty of places you can catch up on what I've been doing. But yeah, let's get into this week's episode. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Very exciting and very terrifying. Today, I have a very special guest, and her name is Alexis McGivern. Now, she is a plastic-free warrior, an epic YouTube maker with her friend Josephine. She has a website, an inspirational Instagram, works for the IUCN, which you guys probably know as the people who say which animal is endangered. Today, we talk about all things how to go plastic-free, the hardest parts about going plastic-free, the perspectives we need to have that plastic is not only an issue affecting our marine life and environment, but also people's lives. Her experience in the Maldives and of course her top tips on what you should do if you want to decrease your environmental footprint. So without further ado, welcome to the episode. Hi Alexis and welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Now I invited you on because you're an epic eco-warrior and you've been plastic free for five years. That's amazing. I was just watching your TED talk for anyone who hasn't seen it. Go check it out now. Links down there. It's about your moment when you really realized what the plastic issue was. Could you talk about your plastica moment as you mentioned it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think plastic and trash in general is a really interesting one because it's one of those things that you don't see until you see it. And then as soon as you see it, you just become obsessed. Like, I don't know anyone who has had their like plastica eureka moment or whatever and not kind of launch on this big journey even if even if that journey is just like they gave up bottled water or they started to change their packaging like it doesn't necessarily mean that every person who realizes the amount of waste they're creating is going to go zero waste the next day but I do think that Mm. 
it is something that just becomes a normal part of your kind of daily life. Like I've always been super interested in sustainability from when I was really young. I always wanted to work specifically in ocean conservation. And um, I just never really, I mean, for a lot of things, I, I never really saw that much of a link between my own habits and sustainability, which is, it sounds ridiculous saying now, but I guess you're just really insulated from it. And as well, it just felt like the problem was so much bigger than just one person. I, I remember when I was younger, like writing a lot of letters to people in government or to companies and stuff like that. But I just felt like that was the only way you could create change. And and when I never got answers back or like when I got answers back being like, oh, unfortunately at this time, it's just not feasible or whatever. I was just like, okay, well, I've done my part. So, you know, that's it. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of, as I mentioned it in the, in the talk, like it was just one of those days I was interning at this environmental organization and I had, I had like bought a bunch of snacks and I was finishing one of my snacks and I went to throw it in the trash and I just had this really weird moment of like, wait, actually, where does this trash go after like, who picks it up? How frequently do they pick it up? Where does it go? Is it treated in Geneva or is it treated like, is it brought somewhere else in Switzerland? Is it even treated within Switzerland is it brought somewhere else like is it treated in France and there's so many things I didn't know and actually that information is actually really surprisingly difficult to get I mean I've tried to do really deep dives into every place I've lived what actually happens to trash from where you set it off but a that information isn't really that publicly available and b the people who might have that direct information they're often really busy like as in if you go out to your bin men when he's about to pick up your bin and you ask him like so where are you going next he'll be like I literally have 200 houses to visit like I don't have time to chat so yeah it's a very long-winded way of saying um I didn't notice it until I noticed it and then I just became super obsessed and plastic it's interesting because plastic was like my way into it and still I do think that zero waste is mostly focused on plastic because I do think if you cut out plastic you're cutting out a lot of your trash there there are still a bunch of things I use that you know generate waste and there's still a lot of plastic waste that's generated like on my behalf that doesn't necessarily end up in my home but is definitely you know part of the value chain or whatever so um I just found it was a really um tangible sustainable action whereas I found that um a lot of other things that you can't you can't see your impact and you just have to trust that you're doing the right thing whereas plastic is something that you can really measure like this is how much plastic I got in January this is how much I had in February and just holding it in your hand you can see the impact that you've made so it is a very palpable impact indeed however a hard part of this plastic free journey of course is yeah. all the plastic coming from the supply chain which you aren't aware of whatever you buy you have to just hope you know there hasn't been plastic uh in the packaging yeah. when it's traveling from long distances and things like that and that would be a very frustrating process but what do you find as the hardest thing to swap out I mean, or I quit in think, terms of plastic honestly, or stop i don't using i mean it has gotten easier but i just still think that the the main difficult thing is just convenience like it's it's still just very inconvenient and it's a it's a thing that i'm willing to do because i really care for the environment but I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to make it I've been brainstorming a lot of ideas on how to like make plastic free living more um I don't know achievable or whatever and the problem is is that you can give people the information but right now it's super inconvenient and it really relies on people going out of their way to basically you know have have sustainable consumption habits which is such a shame I mean like even today I really needed so I, I'm about to finish, so I fill up my olive oil at the bulk store and I'm about to finish my olive oil and I'm in this like awkward phase where I have enough that like 
the next two, three meals will probably be fine. So I need to be able to use it and then wash it and then bring it back to the bulk store. The bulk store isn't that close to where I live. So usually I keep the glass container at home and it's like, okay, it would be convenient on the way back from work, but it means I have to think about it like a couple of days before to bring the jar in with me to work, then to like take that route home from work that allows me to pass by the bulk store, fill it up. It's just like, or I could just go right now and buy you know, at a gas station, like olive oil. It's just, it's, it's something that I find really frustrating and there's only a few stores that do it. So I really have to plan my day around where I can get, where I can get stuff or, you know, really planning, um, social stuff around having everything in your bag. Like I always have to take bags out with me because I always have to have like my straw and my spork and my container. And sometimes it is a bit frustrating and sometimes I am like a little bit, you know, lackadaisical about it because I'm just like, okay, I've been trying hard to avoid waste, but you know, at one time I went to a bakery and I didn't have my cloth bag and I was like, just give me a paper bag, like whatever, just because I was super hungry. I was super grumpy. I was really hangry. And you know, at at that moment, like I just didn't care, (laughs) honestly. And it's hard because you have to just be caring and on all the time. And also always thinking when you're leaving the house, like, okay, so what am I going to want to consume later? And how will my day be like revolve around that, which is Still something I find super frustrating. I mean, a lot of it has become pretty second nature, but still, like, it's just so much easier to use plastic and so much better and more convenient in, like, every way possible, basically. Um, You know, and it's only in the long term with the health impacts and with where it's going to end up and the waste that you're creating that it makes a difference. But in the, you know, short to medium term, it's, you know, and I'm not making a very convincing argument for it right now, but it's just can be quite frustrating. I think it's really great that you acknowledge that it is difficult and it is a commitment you have to make to take care of the earth every day because you do have to take that bag with you and the utensils and the bottle uh, all the time. And you and Josephine made some really great videos Mm -hmm. on Rogue Gone Vogue about your travel kit or the backpack and Mm -hmm. all the things you take in there to minimize your waste because it is an everyday thing and we have to consciously put in the effort because this world has been created in such a convenience driven Mm. way but it's not only in terms of plastic free but it also has something to do with veganism every time I go out and I didn't become organized and I didn't think forward I'm stuck in a situation where do I have to pick the plastic covered option or the option which might have animal products and then you kind of stand there and you're trying to work out what's better and you end up picking the banana which has traveled all the way from Costa Rica which has enormous food miles rule for my new apartment was that I was going to keep it vegan so it was a kind of a good like break or motivation or whatever and I do find vegan and plastic free to be quite difficult in terms of like I've broken my Mm, plastic free thing now three times for tofu because I couldn't find tofu package anywhere and Mm. I couldn't find any other like good like reliable source of like you know some some kind of like alternative that gives me the same nutrients as um as as tofu or like I'm taking a b12 supplement which is packaged in blister packs like I don't know how to get around that other than you know so so that's where I find and and actually, it's quite interesting, like, the rebranding of Zero Waste. Have you heard about this, like, in the last couple of days, like, low impact instead of Zero Waste? Yeah. Which I really prefer because I find Zero Waste can be super de- demonizing. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm eating, if I'm choosing to eat vegan, which ha- massively reduces my impact on the environment, but I'm going to have to buy tofu, like, in a plastic package every couple of weeks or, like, every couple of months or I don't know, whatever. I'd rather have, like, those packages and stay vegan rather than be like, okay, well... 
because I can easily get cheese and meat and all that stuff unpackaged. So it's like, okay, well, where do you have to draw the line in terms of your impact? It shouldn't be just like either you're zero waste or just like don't bother. I, I find that you just have to make these kind of like calculations for yourself knowing what the trade-offs will be because it is it is super difficult to be 100% perfect like no one is especially living in a developed country where you're consuming so much more than your fair share so yeah as well as the whole thing of being plastic free there's that other side of using multiple use plastic like your container that you have that you expand that's also plastic how do you justify that to people who ask like oh you're not plastic free because you're using this plastic Um, yeah I mean definitely it would be it would be great if you know I could use glass for everything but the the number one thing that I find with that is just weight honestly like just the fact that glass is so heavy and um you know I I bring glass mostly I bring my lunch in glass mostly because we have microwaves at work where like you're not allowed to use a and if you want you can't use the plates from the cafeteria unless you're buying food from the cafeteria if that makes sense so I always bring glass just because I can microwave it directly in glass and my silicon container like I obviously can't do that um but when I'm out I like I always have that container in my backpack because it's just so much lighter and I find that the other day I brought like a couple things into work with me in glass containers and then I was going to the bulk store afterwards and I filled them with like it was sugar and almonds I think and when I was on my way back I was like this is so heavy this is so annoying I'm really not enjoying this just I could have, I should have brought like um, a cloth bag and I could have filled the sugar, but it's just like, okay, well, if you're, I mean, again, like bringing, coming back to what I said before, like you, you do have to let yourself use those multiple use plastics every once in a while, because otherwise you're just asking people to just basically be miserable in the name of sustainability. And I do think it's important to let people like, you know, um, give those little okays and, and ensure that people are, you know, not sacrificing too much because at the beginning, like when I first started, when I first got obsessed, I'm sure like probably the same with you and veganism, like when you first get into a new habit, I just got went, went so overboard with it to the point where like it was really just not good. Like I would, I was writing my dissertation, no, was I writing my dissertation? No, 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 it, it wasn't. It was my third year. So I wasn't writing my dissertation, but there was some like massive paper that I was writing. I can't remember now. And I was in the library until like two in the morning and I was so hungry and I was so stressed. And I also just like wasn't taking care of myself. Like I hadn't been sleeping and I was so focused on the paper or whatever. And I could have just gone and gotten like a sandwich. Like they had this prepackaged sandwich or whatever in the library. And I was like, no, I'm going to bike home. And there's stuff that I bought from the farmer's market earlier. So I'm going to like boil some broccoli at three in the morning and then like eat it and then go back to the library. Like, I don't know. Obviously it's good to plan ahead and, uh, you know, good to minimize your waste or whatever. But you also have to recognize that if you're going to burn yourself out doing it, then I don't know. You just have to be reasonable. And I wasn't reasonable when I first started. So just also. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, what are your thoughts about another kind of heated issue, which yeah, is the compostable plastics? One. Actually, when I first started, I, I just I got really sucked into bioplastics, which it's hard because obviously they're greenwashing you into believing that, you know, that this is the right choice and when you don't know any better or if you don't have time to look into it you're just like cool sweet this is like a great solution like um I was in London last weekend and they they have this uh restaurant called Temple of Hackney have you heard of it so it's like a fried chicken shop but it's like vegan chicken it's made with seitan so it's like this whole Mm. like vegan fried oh wow like fried chicken they have like popcorn chicken and like but everything's vegan but anyways so it's like a it's like a vegan popcorn chicken and they have um (laughs) 
they have when you're waiting for your order or whatever they have water and and cups but the cups there are vegware cups and it's like um 100% compostable and I was looking at it and I was like this doesn't make sense because 100% compostable where are they comp- like where are they putting this first of all is there like a designated bin for compost because I had my cup with me like my little steel cup so I was just like I had I didn't take one but I was just looking at it and it's like okay 100% compostable and then I looked and like they had a supply box kind of in the back of the thing and I just like went over and looked at it and, it's, and it says um compostable and industrial composting facilities and I was like okay well you've obviously made this choice the vegan like this temp, this shop like has obviously made this choice it, to be sustainable you know they've obviously looked into it and they've chosen vegware and they've put out all these compostable cups but they don't know it's just in Hackney like I don't know if Hackney has composting sites you know and I don't know you don't know where the waste goes and they don't know what's going to happen to it so basically you know, it's just diverting like a whole bunch of resources to make compostable stuff where they, they could have just put out cups, like as in reusable, I mean, just normal cups that they could wash. But they obviously were like thought that it was a more sustainable choice. And so decided to put it without really looking into where it's going to go. And so I don't know, I find bioplastics, compostable plastics, like it is a super, It dep- the problem with the bioplastics is that they depend so much on the facilities where they're going to, to actually be genuinely good like there's so few compostable plastics that you can just stick in your garden compost and will actually decompose so manufacturers are making it and pushing it out but then if the place where they're sent to doesn't have the capacity then what is the point it's just it's complete greenwashing and not maybe not even intentionally so you know they they just like come up with this alternative actually and, and another place in peckham in london as well they have this compostable cup where the branding on it says i am not a plastic cup have you seen these yeah, yeah, I have. They like, also okay, have, so I'm not a plastic bag. I just saw that last weekend. I was looking it up online. It was like 100% compostable. Um, but it's still, like, it's really unclear from their website if that means compostable in an industrial composting facility or if you can stick it in your garden. Like, I still don't know. And I sent them an email and asked, and I haven't heard back yet. But I just find it's, I mean, and it's kind of interesting that there's, like, this cultural capital these days, whereas where if you're a business and you're seen to be caring about this problem that people will be on board with it, which is great. Like, it's great that, you know, businesses are, are cluing into this and stuff. But if you make one choice at the beginning of your supply chain and don't think about where your waste is ending up, then you may as well have just not made that choice. So, I don't know. It's a super complicated issue. And, like, so now I'm living in, in Neil. And for compost, like, you can't put your compost directly in, like, um, in directly in the compost bin. So I have these, like, compost bags. I'll just grab them actually. See. Well, it's a podcast. Okay, whatever. Um, they they um, it's, it's like <laughs> compost bags that you you just have these little bags you have to put in. So like I keep, I have like a little uh, bowl that I keep in my freezer with like the the bag in the bowl. And then when I'm cooking, I take the the bowl out and I put everything in. And then like roughly every like I don't know every couple of days, my freezer is super small, so it doesn't fit that much. So you know I have to take it out every few days. And like I still haven't. I just moved in a few weeks ago, so I still haven't really had the time to call them and ask them where it goes and stuff. But I don't really know what's happening with those bags. I don't know where the compost goes. I don't know if it's going to like a garden center. Or I don't know where the compost goes afterwards. Is it like sold back to farmers? I just have zero clue. And so, and it's it's quite difficult to find that information too. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've been trying to find the information online for a while now, whether it's, you yeah. know, the official yeah, yeah. government websites or recycling, etc. And it's just yeah. nowhere to be found. And I found that quite scary. Recently, you went to a recycling plant, however. So maybe you could give us some information about where the plastic recycling is going. Because uh, the statistics are terrifying. 12.3 billion metric tons of plastic waste are created every year. And only 12% are incinerated and 9% are recycled. Yeah. So, so where does the rest go? There's a couple of like big takeaways and I actually, I took so many notes and I really need to go through and like kind of break them down a little bit and see what actually, um, what are the key messages or whatever. But there's two things that really stuck with me, um, which firstly that um, there's such a low level of waste separation, which I didn't realize. And this is something that I've come to a realization over the last few months of working with um, schools and working, you know, with the more like institution level stuff. So I, and I've never realized this, that a lot of people just don't know or don't care to recycle. And maybe it's super naive of me, but I guess like when you grow up in Switzerland, so it's, cycling is just like a, it's just a thing. Like no one doesn't do it because, well, I mean, maybe they do, but as in, I don't know. Yeah. I you think have you to have pay, to pay, yeah, exactly, pay more per bag. Exactly. If you, if you don't recycle even before they introduced that, per like, bag, I don't know garbage. anyone who didn't do like their sun or Saturday morning, like, visit to the recycling plant like it's just a part of the culture and so I think I was rather naively and actually it's, it's something that I when I went to university I was really shocked by like going to university in the UK and so many people so I was like in a quite small town so there were like two or three recycling points and like for my house it was maybe maybe absolute maximum like a five minute walk with like the little bins that you like we had we separated our waste in our apartment and like it was a it was shocking to me how often I'd see people bring their like waste bags that were full of plastic or like aluminium cans or whatever and just throw them in the bins and I'd be like oh my god you're literally at the same point I just don't understand why you're not putting them in the recycling it's just outrageous to me and a lot of my friends were like well yeah like we didn't we don't really know how to recycle we didn't grow up recycling I'm like what so yeah number one thing is I didn't realize how low the recycling sorting rates were and the other thing was that and this is kind of dangerous advice to give. He was saying, the guy who gave us a tour, who's like the head of the plant or whatever, was saying, it's, if you're not sure if something can be recycled, it's actually better to put it into the landfill bin, like it's in like your residual waste bin, than it is to put it in recycling. Because if it comes to us and it's not fit for recycling, we like, either the machine picks up and diverts like that whole section, so, and a lot of recyclable waste ends up going into the bin, or it just basically ends up in residual waste anyways, and it's wasted like our time and capacity, and um, you know it's unable to be identified, and it's just like a massive waste of resources basically. So he was saying, if you're not sure, don't just put things in the recycling because you think it's better. Like make sure that the things that you're putting in the recycling are actually picked up by your waste uh, like infrastructure or whatever, which is also super difficult because again, in the UK for example, a lot of it is single stream recycling. You put everything in one bin and who's going to take the initiative to find out who like call their council and ask them. And even, I bet even if you called the council, they wouldn't know. So it just requires so much information and effort on the part of the consumer, which is frustrating, really frustrating. So. Yeah, it's difficult. I lived in Perth last year for six months and I tried to do some research about the recycling 
And um, lo and behold, they actually have no recycling plants for glass anywhere in Western Australia. The rest of the recycling was still pretty sketchy as well. And, you know, I couldn't find any information. It was like a black hole. Where was it going? Were they shipping it off to other parts of the country or what was their plan? Maybe partially it's because they have such a low population. I know in Exmouth where there's whale sharks and it's this huge ecotourism sustainably source Mm -hmm. thing, yet they have zero recycling there. Everything's landfilled. So it's pretty upsetting. But yeah, you mentioned just earlier that you went to schools and I haven't really talked about it, but we actually went to the same school. So uh, the International School of Geneva and you were at the Lachat campus and I was at the other two, LGB and Campus des Nations. Uh, and recently I saw that you actually went back and helped them go bottle free. Uh, so could you tell us about that? I'm going single plastic free because I think at the same, you know, at the same time as teaching sustainability in the curriculum, I think coming, having a, you know, a concrete project that you can work on uh, is really cool for students. I mean, like I've always been really interested in education stuff, so I, I just found it um, a fun way to do it. And so there's this group in the US called the Post Landfill Action Network, and they're a group that are doing a similar thing, but for um, universities in the US. And I, when we were kind of doing our scoping study, because I, I started working for this foundation like a year and a half ago when we started doing our scoping studies to see where we could plug the gaps or whatever, I spoke to them and I asked them, like, hey, so do you think you're going to go for um, schools? And they just said they didn't have the capacity. And I was like, okay, well, then I might go for schools. Then, you know, it would be kind of an interesting way. So we started with five schools um, in the local area just because I wanted to test and try a bunch of things and it's easier when I could go physically to the schools. Um so yeah so basically we're kind of we have this from that that those experiences with the schools we have this um the kind of strategy guide that we've developed and we're just going to try to scale up now and try to get other schools to try to do it but essentially yeah it starts with like auditing the amount of plastic waste talking with like the procurement um director to see how like what what's being ordered you know talking with the cafeteria services talking with the waste management services trying just trying to figure out like a bunch of of those things um which which is way more uh, time intensive than I thought it would be. Like I kind of thought I could just hand off some resources and then let people, you know, go their merry way. But actually, when you're trying to change sustainable habits, you really need like a champion in house too. You know, um, either it's like someone in house who's like a teacher, which has been the case in, in a lot of them, which is super dedicated teachers. But obviously, teachers work super long hours have so much on their plate, so you can't really rely on, on teach. I mean, obviously you can rely on them, but as in, you don't want to put all the work on them, um, to, you know, t- to have to, to, to run this whole project. So yeah, essentially that's what we're doing now. So like, I'm actually going to LGB tomorrow because, um, we're just going to talk about, they have, they just did their first, um, like plastic free lunchtime and stuff and just talking about procurement there and stuff, which has been super interesting. And I'm ha- I really like going into the schools, but it's not going to work long term if you have to go into every school and like be there, you know, like one day a week or whatever. It's just too you can't have unless you hired like a, a million staff members. But um, so, yeah, just trying to figure that out now. But it's been super interesting and I've learned a lot. Like one of the schools, which shall remain nameless, um, that it was we had a massive oh, not mass. OK, maybe I'm being dramatic, but there was a big um, <laughs> not fight, but disagreement and value clash with a PTA in the sense that the parent-teacher association, not administration, a parent-teacher association, which is like a committee of parents who, you know, work to liaise like big events or they do a lot of fundraising and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, 
from my part, I learned a big lesson, which is that you can't just dump sustainability stuff on people and then like walk away and expect them to do it. So you have to realize that you, you are, when you're asking people to do extra work, you either have to like give them the motivation in terms of values, which obviously everyone has, but if you're asking someone to do like a whole bunch of extra research on plastic free alternatives and like getting that world out to the student community and, um, getting people to sort waste on the day of and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I kind of rather naively like swooped in and said like, this can all be done. Good luck. Bye. And there was a bit of confrontation being like, you can't just come in here and ask us to do all this extra work just for like the good of the earth, which is obviously a good thing. Like they were all super on board with the idea of doing good, but you have to also recognize that if you're going to take ownership for something that big, you really need to be like there each step of the way, which is why going back with that school now, like I'm now spending a lot of time on things that I didn't expect to, which is like finding people to uh, source different like types, how we get water on the day and stuff like that. And that's not necessarily like something I expected to be doing, but it was a really important lesson for me to learn it, to take ownership of the things that you ask people to do and not just like swoop in and be like, Oh, you should all be more sustainable. Bye. And so, yeah. So that was, that was like a, a very interesting lesson that learned early on. Yeah, I can imagine. For people who are interested in maybe helping their school go plastic-free or do similar projects, do you have any cheat sheets or any resources that they can yeah. check out to make the process easier? For sure. So we're coming to the end of the pilot program in like a matter of weeks, and then we're going to try to have everything online. So it's like I've made it so that it's six modules, and every like schools, if they want to be a plastic-free campus, like, they do the core module, which is that you do the audit and review the procurement. It has like, a guide in that way, and then you can take on different modules. So one is like running a plastic-free event. One is looking at the curriculum, blah, blah, blah. And basically, like once that website is up, then any school, in theory, we'll see if when people actually start to do it, but any school could like, go and like, click whatever module, and then within their own within their own school could figure out who's going to be sustainability officer, who's going to be you know, in charge of this, that, and the other. So that kind of, that's the aim eventually. Is to... That sounds really incredible. And for all you guys listening, I'm going to have all these links down below or to the side or wherever they go on podcasts. Uh, I've already talked about Alexis's TED Talk, then this, and of course her website, which is No Plastic Please. And you'll be able to just find all the information you can uh, down there. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is really uh, the thing closest to my heart, which is plastic pollution in the ocean. Yeah. And I saw that you worked in Maldives for a few months, which seems like the dream to me, honestly. And it's how I got into this whole plastic-free journey, sustainability journey mm -hmm. in the first place is because I was scuba diving. And as a scuba diving instructor, I was seeing the corals die. And I was wondering why, which is how I got to pesticides and veganism and plastic-free and now yeah, so cool. this entire thing. So I was wondering, what can you share with me, especially now that I'm in the Comoros yeah, and so, kind of um, going so down a very similar I, path? I graduated from university, I started working for IUCN, which is excuse me, International Union for Conservation of Nature. I was working with the Global Marine and Polar Program, actually with a grant funded by the foundation that I'm now working for. So they just funded a big plastics project. And then, um, and then like a year into that, I went to Maldives um, on like a secondment to their offices, which was like just three months, which was meant to be six months, but then the visa, blah, 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 like ended up doing six, just three months, <clears throat> which is a shame. I, I It was super interesting work. Um, I didn't, as a place to live, it, it's quite a difficult place to live in terms of um, 
like there's a lot of political stuff going on and um it's also I mean it makes sense it's a very small country but very um a little bit insular in the sense that like everyone knows and grew up with each other and so when you have people coming from the outside it's a little bit like who are you where'd you come from um but I mean nonetheless I, I, f- I found everyone there to be extremely welcoming I had such a good time um I think it's one of those places if I'd been there longer I might have put put down more roots but when you're there for such a short amount of time it's hard for people to want to invest you know like time in you or whatever but um what we were working on there was just there's a IUCN office in Maldives and so I was working on marine plastics issues there which was a lot of education stuff uh national curriculum um and then just kind of on on a fun note you know like on weekends cleanups and and just speaking and traveling around to different islands and learning about waste management and stuff it was the first time that I've that I'd seen such a complicated waste management infrastructure because it's so many islands so many people some islands have like 200 people some islands like Malé which is a capital have 150,000 people so it's not like there's a one-size-fits-all approach and some of the islands with 200 people are just as big physically as you know Malé which is the capital so it's really really difficult and obviously there's a lot of cultural sensitivities and there's a lot of as again as I mentioned political stuff that's going on in the background that when you're not there for that long you don't really get that much into but um I just yeah as in it was it was just a, it was a very interesting experience and, and more so than anything it was just uh for me to be able to see how some of the strategies that IUCN is developing are actually playing out in the field and then when I came back it was super interesting because I had a very different perspective like when we were sitting in meetings and we have this that and the other proposed and when you're working so much on policy you kind of lose yourself a little bit in it it's like yeah we can easily do that or we can easily try to put in this implementation and it's to be able to have the perspective like okay well thinking super logistically like how are you physically going to transport the waste like how often will it get picked up who's it going to get picked up by is the government going to fund it or is IUCN going to fund external contractors so just kind of getting that perspective which has been super helpful um to me so I definitely want to do more field work I just I just think it's super invaluable but I, I enjoyed it really great diving you should go when you're in the Comores and um and I really love people <laughs> one as day well. one and, day um and uh, a super interesting like country with a lot of really um like a very almost dark history in its politics that has not really been talked about that much because it's just seen as like this ideal honeymoon destination but has a lot of people who are working super hard to conserve their their beautiful islands and who are not super uh, well recognized for their work so I feel like that situation is very similar yeah. to what I'm going to be going to in the Comoros. But how do they actually deal with the plastic? Like the management, do they have incineration? I'm guessing there's no recycling plants or anything like that. No. <laughs> but yeah, so what as I mentioned, like it's super different per island. So like there's one island called Ukulas, um, which I, I can send you actually. We, if you're putting in the link, there's a link a uh, blog post that I did about Ukulas, which is known as like the golden island of the Maldives in terms of waste management. And there they sort all their waste and they have regular waste collection and they export a lot of their waste to India to be treated in India. But for most of it, like in Mali, you have um, you have your bin bags that you put everything in, including recyclable material. And then it's brought to Tilafushi, which is rubbish island, which is basically this island near Mali. And everything is just dumped there. And like incinerated, technically, it's in burnt with burning tires, but obviously not incinerated in proper conditions like when when things are incinerated for example Switzerland has a really high incineration rate which I have com- complicated and mixed feelings about but it's treated so that everything that's released into the atmosphere is not toxic and so it's a very different system to obviously just open burn pits which is what you see a lot in the developing world and it and it honestly like just if I can just say one more thing about um low impact or zero waste or whatever it's just that obviously the people who are working on it are 
I mean, a lot of people, sorry, who are visible on like platforms like Instagram or YouTube or whatever, they're often like middle class uh, from developed countries, often white, you know, and and while that's great, like I, th- I really do think that every person has their own personal journey and stuff. It's it's really, f- it's not being talked about enough that the people who are suffering the most from like waste, con- waste generation and poor waste management are people of color and people in developing countries. And so I just feel like, it has to be it has to go so much more beyond just like the aesthetic of zero waste or low impact and and so much so beyond like personal glorification i feel like sometimes in instagram and youtube it's just like this is how amazing i am because i produce no trash and this is why you should like be jealous of me and feel crappy about like your trash or whatever because often i mean while i agree that a lot of that you know a lot of people, anyone basically can try to reduce their trash it obviously requires um financial flexibility obviously it requires time flexibility and that is something that you get from the from the privilege of working like a nine-to-five job if you have like children to raise or if you are working a job where you're working in like a shift work or something you don't have the time or the luxury to as I was mentioning before wait like three days to go get your olive oil so that you can get it from the bulk store so I just I just I just find something that is not being talked about enough and there. There are a lot of people on Instagram who are talking about this more. Um, I don't know if you follow Olivia Lapierre. Her, her handle is Zero Waste Tabisha. So no, no, I don't. I, but I'll I can find her link afterwards. I've learned a lot from her, and um, and um, she is awake. Is a is Angolan Portuguese, I think. Um, originally Angolan. I don't. And I think now she's in the UK, but she's now fundraising for zero waste kits to send to Angola, and so just stuff like that. I find is super important to like uplift and promote especially um people of color especially women of color to like push their their narratives because you know those women are going to be investing so much um and and being putting so much into into low impact and to like spreading the message and stuff so i do think yeah super important to highlight those voices it's also really important to acknowledge that we have Mm. this privilege of the time and the money and the opportunities to follow this low impact lifestyle and this plastic free lifestyle and it's hard for us to judge people who you know don't know don't have the education Mm. to make the correct choices that's why education is so important and it's just like with veganism i mean when i lived in cambodia the people ate snails and could i really judge them like oh no you shouldn't be eating that but they bought it because (laughs) they didn't have money to buy food and i'm guessing it was the same thing in the maldives you didn't have bulk food stores so you had to eat and live in a way that worked there to conclude this kind of section i wanted to ask you what advice would you give to anyone who wanted to go plastic free or to decrease their impact just pick one Um, thing integrate it and then move on to the next thing like i think a lot of people get really overwhelmed when they try to do everything overnight so pick one thing that you know that you can do Set yourself a time limit. I, I think two weeks to three weeks is a good time to, to be able to pick up a habit. I've heard it takes 21 days to make a habit. So something that's long enough that will make, make a habit, but not so long that it feels like, okay, I'm going to go vegan like completely for the next six months, like completely. And so kind of giving yourself this phase <clears throat> of trying something new, adopting something. I mean, the cold turkey approach works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. So knowing what works for you in terms of habit stuff. What I've alluded to a couple times, which is that it's only, it'll, it will only work if you care. Just reading a lot about how plastic affects not only the environment, because obviously 
we talk a lot about how it affects the environment and how it affects the marine environment in particular. But as I mentioned before, how it affects people, how it affects people's health, how it affects the health of people of color, how it affects, you know, the health of people who are less privileged and less wealthy. And so really understanding like all the dimensions in the same way that that vegan that vegan people have always, you know, talked about the dimension of the problem is that like you could make a habit change that will be like better for your health, better for the environment, better for people. And so understanding those three those three dimensions, like how plastic as well will make your health better, make other people's lives better and, and, and the environment. So I would definitely just take the time. There's a lot of stuff, good stuff out there. Instagram is a really great tool for searching like hashtag plastic free, hashtag zero waste, hashtag low impact. I don't know. But those hashtags will lead you to a bunch of really cool accounts. Thank you so much, Alexis. You're one of really those inspiring people. And I hope everyone listening is going to check out your Instagram and your website awesome. as you share awesome tips and tricks. And you've really helped me kind of open my mind a lot. We do kind of get stuck in one perspective. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, I hope to hear from you soon and Sweet. whatever you're up to. Yeah, thanks, Kat. It was really nice to, to catch up and speak with you. And that was the first episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Thank you so much to my lovely guest once again for sharing her knowledge with us. And I hope you guys found that interesting and helpful. And you're going to be checking out some of the resources down below. I'm going to be posting a new episode in two weeks. And of course, until then, you can find me on Instagram at VeganDiverCat. Again, all this information is going to be down below. Thank you guys so much for listening and hope your life is turquoise. I wanted to say thank you to my friend Graham Mose for letting me use this epic track, which is Risk. You can find him on www.grahammosemusic.com as well as Facebook and all the usual suspects. Thank you as well to my friends and family who have been patiently supporting and waiting for this podcast to come out for the past, uh, what, six months and that I've been procrastinating slash terrified about how this will go. So yeah, and thank you, of course, to all your listeners. If you're still listening now, wow, I'm impressed. Thank you so much and I'll see you guys soon.